He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. <laughs> now, in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and put it in his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. And from there, we made a circuit and arrived in Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Pertuliae. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the Forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to co convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, you will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I will heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you, that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, they will listen. 
He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May God give us understanding in this portion of scripture that we read and preach through this morning. I'd like you, please, to remain standing with me as we have a word of prayer. And then after a word of prayer, our choir will come for special music. Then we have the preaching of God's word this morning. And then also following the preaching, our time of the Lord's Supper in communion together. So let's bow together as you remain standing. Bow with me in a word of prayer. We thank you, Father, for this day, allowing us to be here, allowing us to come in fellowship and hear your word again. We thank you for this weekend. Tomorrow we celebrate as a nation 246 years of being a nation. We thank you for that. We thank you that you have allowed us as a nation, um, you've allowed a place here where the gospel can be spoken freely each Sunday. Um, of course, that exception was when a government determined, or at least this government determined, that churches should be closed during the COVID time, which was against your purpose and against your will. But we thank you for this time now that we can preach freely your truth. And we thank you for the freedom that we have. We thank you because you have allowed this here in America so that your gospel could go out throughout the world. We know America needs to hear this gospel. And Lord, we want to we proclaim it in our lives and through our voices here in Milwaukee and everywhere that we go. We pray, Lord, that you'd, you'd allow us to proclaim it today in such a way that those who hear it might actually listen and follow and obey and come to trust Christ as their Lord and Savior be freed from their sin, and be freed to truly walk and serve you as you intend. We thank you now. Ask your blessings on our service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Island of Malta. He had left Caesarea more than two months earlier bound for Rome to have his appeal heard by the emperor. In a risky attempt to reach a more favorable harbor in Crete to winter in, the apostles' ship had been called in a dreadly storm called the Aroquillo. Whenever you put a name to a storm, you know it's something. So that violent storm had driven their vessel for 14 terror-filled days across the Mediterranean to this island. There the crew attempted to beach the ship, but it ran aground and was destroyed by the pounding surf. Miraculously, 276 persons on board managed to reach the shore safely. God had promised Paul that although the ship would be destroyed, no lives would be lost. He also promised that the ship would run aground on an island. Now, both of his, those promises were fulfilled when the ship reached Malta. 
it reached Malta, but it was totally destroyed with all of its cargo. But everybody on board was saved. Malta is located about 58 miles south of Sicily. It's an island that's 17 miles long and 9 miles wide, so it's not a huge place. And that's why when they landed there, they didn't know where they were. They had been just in a whirlwind on sea, and then they got to this island. But it didn't take them long to find people and to figure out where they were. What we see in the last several chapters of Acts is Paul on this journey. We know why he's on the journey is because he's been transported as a prisoner to uh, appear before Caesar, the highest in command, um, for his alleged crimes. He had to appeal there. Well, we'll get into that as we go into our story. But we find him now on the island of Malta. Now, certain things that surprise us as we read this chapter, you would think, well, why is this even a chapter in the Bible? What's, what's the spiritual content of it, or is it just a nice story? We'll find out. Yes, it is a nice story. It is an entertaining story, but it's much more than that. It is a picture how God works in the lives of his people and how God fulfills his purpose through his people. So you might, you're here in one of two states. You're, you're looking at this story as a person who's trusted in Christ, and you will gain hope as to the, to the fact that it will show you that your life is not random. Everything that happens in it is orchestrated by God, and not just randomly, but for a specific purpose. He has a journey for you, a purpose for that journey, and something that he wants you to accomplish. Now, if you aren't a believer, it will give you hope that that's what God has in mind for his people. Everybody else is like just in the storm with no purpose, just wandering and tossed basically by Satan's whim. But you would also have hope that God cares so much that he will send, he will, he will spare no end to send a team to you to speak the gospel to you so that you can believe. Think about the people on, on Malta. I was in a meeting a couple of weeks ago with a group of, well, I'll, I'll call them so-called Christians. They were from a church, and they called themselves Christians, but they had a lot of questions that questioned the Bible. And one of the questions they had was basically, what about all these people in the world? They, they basically wanted to say, they weren't bold enough to say this to me, but they wanted to say, hey, preacher, since you believe that Christ is the only way, what about all the people in the world who haven't even heard of Christ? And um, I kind of thought about that for a little while. I, I suppose there are a few people in the world that haven't heard of Christ. And you know, I kind of answered their question. But what this story shows is that God will take a ship of 276 people and send them to a crazy island in the middle of nowhere so that the gospel can be proclaimed there. Did you notice that? 
That's not an accident. God is sending people everywhere. The problem is not um, um, uh, people who have no access and can't hear. The problem is they reject what they hear. They reject what they hear. God says, look, every day the sun rises and sets. And you should tell from that that I'm in control and I've done these things and you should be listening to me and waiting to get further instruction. And if you are, I will give them to you. I will let you know who I am and send word to you, you guarantee. I was out yesterday with our, our, our evangelism team. We ran across a couple. They were just sitting on a bench and just, just chilling. And uh, we began to talk to them. We, we, we got right to the point, talked about some spiritual things. And the lady just bursted out in tears. And Donna picked up on that. And she says, why, why are you crying? And she said, I had just prayed that God would send his angels to me to, to help me. I've been stuck in the middle, she, she mentioned all her life conflicts and challenges that she had faced and sins that she just couldn't seem to rid herself of. And she prayed that God would send an angel. You know what the word angel means? Messenger. Messenger. Her prayers were answered yesterday because God, in fact, sent a messenger directly to her. Directly to her to tell her, look, we want to pray for you and we want to share with you how you can come to know Christ as Lord and Savior, how your life can be transformed today. I began to talk to her and we could see that, that she just, she, she had a burden on her heart that seemed to be lifted as she, and we began to talk more and more about Jesus Christ. I want you to see that God is answering God is speaking. He's using our lives. He's sending us out everywhere we go to be that messenger of the gospel, to speak the truth that individuals need to hear, must hear, so they can have right relationship with God. So I want you to see that in this story. In fact, when you read through Acts, you can kind of get caught in the story thinking that the object is to clear Paul, right? He's been wrongly arrested. He's had several trials which have been just phony because every official that he's come in front of him has said, there's no reason for you to even be here. You're not guilty of anything. You should be free. But they had to continue this process until he, he reached the, uh, his appeal to Caesar. And so you were thinking, getting caught in this story, that the object is to clear Paul. And so you want to see when we get to the end of this chapter, which we're on right now, you'd love to see, I'm kind of that person, like, I want to see the story, I want to see happily ever after, right? I want to see Paul cleared, go on his merry way, continuing God's work, and, and boom, boom, boom. But it just, it's not always that clean because that's not just the purpose of God, to clear Paul. God has a bigger purpose than that. In fact, the whole, and you know that, it's not a mystery, is it? The whole purpose, the whole, uh, uh, um, the, the model that Acts shows us, the outline of, Matt, of Acts is that we would be witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ and go everywhere. Christianity, as we call it, is 
uh, awesome and strange religion. I often call it a religion, but I just say that because that's how other people think of it and look at it. It is one that's not bound by culture and not bound by politics and not bound by a place. A lot of religions start as one place that's a holy place, and people come back to that place and kind of just uh, revere it and, and worship it. Christianity, that's, that's not the case. And you might say, well, that, that place is Jerusalem. But God told, Jesus told his disciples, to, you're going to start in Jerusalem, but you're going to go out, and you're going to spread the gospel. You're not spreading it just to Jews only. You're going to spread it to all people of the world. It is not to bring them into a single culture. It is to reach every culture with the gospel that Jesus is the one and only Savior. Some, have met, some people have said to me, well, you know, Jesus was black or he wasn't white or he was this. You know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Jesus is the one and only Savior that came to die for every individual person on this earth. In other words, he would represent their sin before the Father if they would but trust in him. Every other religion seems to be selected and, 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 and marked out in its culture. Christianity is broad in its approach from the very beginning. We see that in Acts. You'll start in Jerusalem, you go throughout Samaria, Samaria to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the uttermost part of the earth. And we still see that being carried out today. In fact, that's what you and I are supposed to do today. Let's go on. Let's start in this chapter of chapter 28. So we see what I call hospitality in Malta. I think it's remarkable that the inhabitants of Malta shared this generous hospitality with a group of people they didn't even know. I mean, think about it. If, by chance, a busload of prisoners crashed in, across the street from your house, would you open up your backyard and welcome them all into your house and say, y'all can stay here for a while? And just sit tight. I'm going to go to the store and buy some groceries so we can all enjoy this is a shipload of prisoners that are being escorted that landed on this island. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd be kind of like, man, that's a whole lot of folks on our island. I know they ain't all good. We better lock our doors. <laughs> we better keep our lights on. We better have extra patrol out because that's what's then invaded our neighborhood. But instead of that, they extend Warm hospitality. I'm going to tell you something. That's not random. That's not a, this is not an accident. God is paving the way and opening door. God is showing favor to Paul for a purpose. We all want God's favor. Well, some of us want the favor just so that we can have what we want and do what we want. And uh, in other words, we treat God like a genie in a bottle, right? We're going to rub the bottle. Genie pops out, and we want our three wishes. Um, but God does favor or puts us in favor with people and blesses us for a purpose, and he wants us to know what that purpose is. That's what he's doing with Paul here. Now, I want you to notice that 
When God puts his favor on you, it doesn't mean only good things will happen. I'll say that again. When God puts his favor on you, it doesn't mean that only good things will happen. What it means is through the good and through the bad and whatever comes your way, that he will carry you through and help you to complete the purpose that he has for you. So what you and I need to be doing is finding out what that purpose is. Now, Paul was privileged. He already knew what God's purpose was. From the time he saved, God told him, this is what I have for you to do. And we just see that being carried out for him. All right, so look what happens to Paul. He's shipwrecked, and, and the first thing we see, he lands on this island with his whole crew. It says the people, verse 2, they showed kindness to him. They kindled a fire because it was rainy and cold, right? And so one thing I see, Paul, is getting wood for the fire. Now, what does that tell us? Paul was not afraid of doing the hard work. Paul joined in. He didn't, he didn't stand aloft and say, hey, hey, why don't y'all dudes, why don't y'all fix that fire, you know? I'm, I'm kind of in charge here because by this time he was in charge. You remember how the, the crew that didn't listen to him before they set off to sea, uh, they are now listening to him. They, 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 they have given full attention to Paul. So Paul is, he's risen up in their, in their ranks, so to speak. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't do the work. He gets out getting wood like everybody else. I like that. Gathering it for the fire. Now, while he gathers some wood, guess what's hiding in this wood? A snake. Not just a snake, a poisonous snake. And not just a poisonous snake, but a deadly poisonous snake. And it says it fastens on to his arm. So this wasn't just a glancing blow. It like took a bite out of him and hung on to the point that Paul had to physically yank the snake off his arm and he threw it in the fire. But I want you to know something about Paul's reaction. He's gathering sticks. This snake bites him. He just shakes it off into the fire and keeps on about his business. What does Paul know that causes him to have this kind of calm? Well, let me share with you. In Acts 23, verse 11, it says this. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, you must testify also in Rome. Jesus spoke to Paul and the night when there was this big turmoil when he was first getting arrested and says, you've testified about me in Jerusalem. I'm going to have you testify about me in Rome. What does that mean? Paul is on his way to Rome. He's on the island of Malta. He hasn't gotten to Rome yet. Jesus said, you're going to get to Rome. In other words, snake bite or no snake bite, you get into Rome. Amen? Doesn't that make you feel good when God tells you something and then you, you, you encounter something that seems to just tear up the whole plan, but you remember what God said and said, wait a minute. God says this is going to happen. God says this is going to happen. Now, I, I, I do, we do need to be careful about what God says because a lot of people like to imagine you know what God says. I'll just give you, let me just give you a little hint. This is how you tell what God says. 
This is how you tell. Now, Jesus himself talked to Paul personally. Jesus has never talked to me personally. But he does speak through his word and through his Holy Spirit. And he does guide us. He tells me so much in his word that I can take the same kind of confidence and assurance that Paul took. That even though a deadly snake bit him and he's expected to die. By the way, you know, it's not just Paul being scared of the snake. It's the island people that were afraid. Why? They knew what a snake bite meant. Some people have said, well, you know, um, um, you know they, they did the search and they found out that, you know, you can go and find this island. It's still there. And it, there's no deadly snakes on the island right now. And so they said, well, in the days of Paul, this, this must have been a made-up story because we find no deadly snakes on the island. And these people claim to follow the science. Really? Over 1,900 to 2,000 years, when an island becomes inhabited and there's more people, guess what happens? The wildlife goes elsewhere. So it's not surprising that you won't find deadly snakes today there if you have an island full of people. That's not a big deal. But they think it is, I suppose. It's like, who do you want to believe? God or somebody else who hates God? The, islands, the islanders' reaction themselves show you something about this story. They expected Paul to either swell up or they, 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 if they had watches, they would have been like, okay, <laughs> Got to give you a minute, maybe two minutes. Maybe that was a baby snake, not full grown. I'll give you three minutes. They expected Paul to fall over dead, and he didn't. But look at Paul's reaction. It says he, he just shook the snake off, threw him in the fire, and kept on going. He knew what God had for him, and he knew that this was not going to interrupt that even though it looked like it should, right? In our eyes, that, that, that's just a scary thought. Not to Paul, because of what he knew of what God said. And so your assurance doesn't come from superstition. It doesn't come from nonsense. It comes from knowing what God says and knowing what his purpose is for you. Paul showed his faith in God's purpose. Um, now they see Paul is just going on, and after some time, he's all right. And they say, hey, first thing they say, he must have been a real evil person, right? And so you can see all cultures have a sense of right and wrong. They thought this guy tried to escape murder, and he got caught on this island. See, look, snake bitter. He must be an evil person. When he didn't die, they thought, wow, this dude's a god. He is superhuman. Neither one of them was true. It does teach us something about um, uh, how, how God works in our lives. Good things can happen to evil people, and bad things can happen to good people. 
Just because somebody had something bad happen to them doesn't mean that they're living under the curse of God. And likewise, just because something good happens doesn't mean that someone is free from the curse of God. We want to say, well, see, look, lightning didn't strike me. In fact, I'm rich, and so I must be doing right. No, it just means God is gracious. That's what it means. And by the other token, we say, well, hey, if, if, if all these bad things happen to good people, how can they, how, either how can they be good or how can God be good? I'll remind you of several people where this takes place in the Bible. The Bible is showing us that godly people often encounter very harsh circumstances. Uh, the first one I think of is, is Abel. The Bible says he was good. He offered a right a sacrifice, and his own brother killed him. His own brother was jealous of him. His own brother hated him and killed him. There in Genesis, we know of the person named Joseph who was hated by his own brothers and killed. Uh, Job is one who was good and righteous, who suffered in his life. Stephen in Acts is one who was right, and he was the first one put to death for his faith in Christ. And then, of course, Jesus himself, a perfect individual who was hated, mobbed, and killed by wicked people. Bad things can happen to good people. It's not a show of God being absent in their life, and it's not a show of them lacking faith. Good things can happen to bad people or sinful people as well. doesn't mean that God approves of what they're doing. True justice, it's true. Justice will prevail. And that's what the islanders will say. See, justice prevailed. This dude got bit by a snake. He didn't escape his judgment. But you have to understand the timing. Justice will prevail in the right time. In this period that we're living in now, Justice is delayed, but grace is present. Grace is present right now. God has extended grace. He's allowed us to wake up and see this morning. He's allowed us to be in our right minds this morning. His grace is prevalent for us now while his justice is delayed. I don't know about you, but I got problems sometimes with justice being delayed. When somebody runs in front of me and cuts me off while I'm driving, I kind of want to look around the corner and see them wrapped around a pole. Like, like, Lord, get them. Just get them. You know they wrong. You know they did me wrong. You are, Lord, just get them. And I'm like, man, God didn't get them. In fact, they passed the light and I'm stopped at it, you know. They seem to be getting what they want and I'm stuck. You know, so justice is often delayed in this life, and, and we need to realize that, that that's how God is working, but grace is right now. The problem is people under, understand our times, and they take God's grace for granted. Think because they're not punished immediately, they've escaped God's judgment. When that person dies, they will face God's judgment and they will see a stunning reality because there's coming a time when grace will, in fact, end and justice will begin. But for the, for the one who trusts Christ, grace never 
ends. Amen? Grace never ends. And in fact, justice has already taken place because God gave justice to me, but, he, but my substitute took it. I didn't have to take it. Jesus became my substitute who took my justice, took my penalty, and paid for my sins so that I can experience his grace forever. All right, let us go on to, to the purpose of this. Why, why did God allow this snake to bite Paul, but Paul not to suffer any harm? This was a miracle. God had performed a miracle. The purpose of this miracle was to get the islanders' attention and allow Paul to preach the gospel. You need to know that. Miracles are not just random or without a purpose. God does them so that his purpose can go forward. They're not an end to themselves. They have God's purpose. If you read through the Gospel of John, Brian is doing a job on Wednesday night of, of doing a survey through John, and he's looking at the different uh, miracles. And he stated, you know, in John 20, 31, the writer, John, says, I've recorded the miracles that Jesus did. These are recorded for you so that you might believe. The purpose of the miracle is to bring us to faith in Jesus Christ. Have us to look at Jesus and to come and trust him. The same thing here. This miracle was done so that they would look at Paul and listen to him and they'd be able to trust and put their faith in Jesus. Let me ask you, you're asking God to do a miracle in your life, right? You're asking him to pay that bill. You're asking him to heal that disease. You're asking him to bless your situation. I'm going to ask you, why? What purpose? Let's just ask you this. Are you going to allow, when God does that work or does that miracle, are you going to allow God to get the glory? Are you going to allow God's purpose to be fulfilled? There was a person who was in this church who um, knew that God had healed them of cancer. They're not here anymore, and I wonder what happened. Did God give cancer back to you? Or, or, or maybe cancer suddenly didn't become so serious anymore that you don't feel like you have to serve him for that purpose. You see, when God does a miracle, it is to bring about his glory, to have you look at him and serve him. Are you going to do that for that thing you're praying for? Are, is that going to bring glory to God? Are you going to serve and worship him when God answers that prayer? So you need to think through that. In, in verses 7 through 10, we see Paul's impact on Malta. I'm just going to review very quickly. After he shook off this snake, it says that we see that God gave him grace with the people, but also with the leader in Malta. He was the head person, probably like the governor of the island as we would see today. And this, this man's name was P Publius, person I have, <clears throat> the one I have a problem pronouncing. But Publius had a father who was sick. Paul went to visit him, laid his hands on him, and healed that man of his sickness. Another miracle was done. What was the purpose of this miracle? Well, Paul got a lot of attention for doing this miracle. Well, the purpose was not just to bring Paul attention. It was to allow people to see Paul and to hear the gospel that he spoke. Um, 
other people started coming to Paul with their sicknesses, and he healed them as well. It doesn't tell us in this story, but, but history and tradition tells us that a church was started in this, on this island of Malta, and guess who the very first pastor was? the person whose name I have difficulty pronouncing, <laughs> Publius, was known to be the first pastor on, at this church in this island. So um, Paul, indeed, he was there for three months. And you can believe that Paul shared the gospel in those three months. The Bible doesn't tell us all the consequences, all the results of that. We don't know how many crew members or how many of the prisoners got saved. We don't know how many people on an island got saved. We don't know how many weddings of saved people. Maybe a prisoner got saved, a person on an island got saved. Maybe they got married. Maybe Paul, maybe Publius conducted the, the wedding. Maybe children were born. We don't know all those stories. Those are those interesting stories that we, we always like to hear. But the fact is, God was doing a work. God had brought, the gospel was exploding on this island. And God, God was just taking Paul in, in transit to the next location. So he had been there three months and a great impact on, on that, that place. In verse 11, it says, after three months, they left the island. They began to travel on their destination to Rome. And uh, I do want to read a verse or two there. Um, <clears throat> it says they went from, from there to Syracuse. They stayed there for three days. Then Regium, or however you pronounce that, they arrived there. Um, they came on the second day to Petuliae. That sounds like uh, Italian, doesn't it? Um, and they met up with some believers there who housed them and, 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 and greeted them. Uh, and then in verse 18, and we came into Rome, very understated. They finally arrived at Rome. You get the sense that the, 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 the writer of Acts, this is, a, this is not the climax of the chapter. It's just, he, 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 it's very understated that they finally got to Rome. And when they get there, we see what Paul begins to do. Um, <clears throat> he meets with believers there. He's very much encouraged, and he's allowed to stay by himself with a personal guard uh, there in Rome. So God has given him freedom to minister his word. Verses 17 through 31, we see Paul in Rome. One of the first things that he does is meet with his Jewish brethren there to speak to them and to introduce himself and tell his story of what's happened to him. We read that. And you can see that see how, as that happened. And Paul sets his case before these individuals, and they claim they never heard anything negative about Paul. And so they decide to hear more from Paul. Now, what does this do? It gives him the opportunity to share his testimony, and to speak the gospel. Can I suggest to you one thing? God has put you here. He has saved you for the purpose of ministering in your life so that you might be a light and a testimony to other people. Look for ways of sharing your testimony. People always get nervous when they have to share the gospel. Think about it this way. What you saw in Paul, he just shared what happened to him. 
When you get an opportunity and God gives you that privilege, hey, ask for, hey, do you mind? Can I tell you what God did in my life? Can I tell you what happened to me? Most people will, will welcome that. Now, not, not everybody's going to listen. Not everybody's going to be, be uh, convinced and trust in Christ because of that. But take the opportunity to do that. In fact, what we notice with, with Paul, it says this. <clears throat> In verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. Here it is, verse 24. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. Some will listen to what you have to say and believe, and some won't. You don't control that. Simply take advantage of the opportunity God gives you to share. Now, many of us tomorrow will meet with friends and family and will have some opportunity to share. I'm not saying you have to do Paul's approach. He went through the scriptures because he had planned time and he had systematic gone through what the Jews believed and challenged them in their thinking. That takes some time. But you might have chance tomorrow over barbecue to simply share your story. To tell people how you came to trust in Christ. Think about it. Think about it so that you can share it in like a two-minute span and see if that perks some interest from that person and they want to hear more. And take it from there. But begin to share your testimony. I want to skip to the end of the chapter because we're going to do, in the weeks to come over the summer, we're going to do kind of a, a review and survey of Acts, of what we've learned in Acts. So I'm going to cover more details then. Uh, but I want you to look at the, uh, at the end of the chapter, verse 30 and 31. He lived there two whole years at his own expense. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I thought about this, this verse and thought, wow, this seems like um, less of a climax in the end of the book that I expected. Like, I wanted to hear something more. I wanted to hear a great ending here, but what I heard is, is that Paul accomplished just what God had for him to accomplish. Two years in prison he was, and he had a chance to interact with people freely, and every opportunity he took was to speak the gospel of Christ. And, and that simply means sharing his testimony, and that's what he did. So Paul carried out an extensive evangelistic campaign right from him in jail. I heard Dale speak this morning in Sunday school. He's talking about Colossians, and he, so, he put it so well. Paul was basically on a bracelet system, right? <laughs> That's what he was. He was bound where he was. He couldn't, he couldn't move about, but where he was on home arrest, he had freedom, and he used that for the glory of God. How are you using your freedom today? How are you using your free time today? How are you looking for opportunities to share your testimony 
which contains the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life today. While Paul was here for two years, he wrote four New Testament epistles. Because I thought, man, two years, God, couldn't, couldn't you allow him to spend his time better than being in jail for two years? You know, sometimes we get stuck in a place. You might be stuck in a job. You might be stuck in, in something. You think, ah, oh, I just can't wait to get out of this. I want to move on to this. I want to be more productive in this. But perhaps God has put you there for a purpose and a reason and has something good that he wants to come out even though you think he, he could do better. While Paul was here, he wrote Ephesians, he wrote Philippians, he wrote Colossians, and he wrote Philemon there in the prison there in Rome. So we would think sometimes our downtime is unproductive, but God knows what he's doing. Commit yourself to serve God in the circumstances and to share your testimony and, and, and the gospel of Christ with whoever you can. I'm not saying force it on people. Notice that some hear and some will listen, some will not. But take the opportunity God has that he's given to you to share um, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul did that. We thank him for that. Let's pray. We thank you, Father for your word today. You told Paul he'd be a witness. You told your disciples they would be a witness to share their testimony of Jesus Christ. And he did that faithfully. We thank you for that testimony. We thank you for the impact. We know that you have a purpose in it all. You have a purpose in our lives as well. Everybody doesn't have to be the preacher, the pastor who speaks at a pulpit. But you've given them a barbecue grill. You've given them a, a, kitchen, a kitchen table and a chair. You've given them a bus seat. You've given them a, a, t places and opportunities to interact with other people that they can simply share their testimony. Give us boldness. You allow Paul the boldness and the ability to share his testimony without hindrance. We look for those times, Lord, and then we leave the results to you. You are able to make your word impactful in areas that we think, we wouldn't think it could. But here's Paul in prison, and churches are being started. People are being encouraged. Your testimony, your gospel is going out. We thank you for that. I thank you for your gospel that has gone out here at Sweet Communion. I thank you, Lord, that we have not been bound and you've allowed this gospel to go out right now. It's going even across the Internet to people out of state. It's going to, 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 to affect and to impact minds and hearts. A number of people here today that can carry out that gospel, Lord, you can use this impact and, and be glorified in so many ways. We thank you for that. So now, Lord, we prepare for communion. We'll share in that. And we pray, Lord, that our hearts will be committed to you, to sharing Christ with others. And we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. And I ask our leadership team if you will come forward as we prepare for communion. Okay, while that table is being set up, just prepare your hearts for communion. Um, we know that communion is for believers, for those who trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. It has two elements that, that we will celebrate. One element is the, 
the cracker or the wafer that represents Jesus' body. We take that because Jesus has given his body to be put on a cross, to be crucified, to kill, be killed for our sin. God required a payment for our sin, and Jesus took that payment. To show that he died, we have that juice that represents his blood. His blood was shed on the cross as a payment for our sin. Would you prepare your heart? What do you have to do to have communion? You need to be a believer. You need to be a believer that's walking in obedience to Christ. That means that there's nothing that you have in conflict with God right now. There's nothing, no sin that is keeping you from right fellowship with God or keeping you from right fellowship with your fellow believers. If there is a conflict, you need to not take communion today. You need to resolve that conflict and then come back and take communion in right fellowship with God. Being in right fellowship means you need to be obeying God, serving him. You need to be a part of a church. You need to be a member of a church. You need to be active in serving him, committed and obedient in that church. If you're not a member here, and if you're not a member somewhere else and you aren't do, taking steps to be a member, you shouldn't take communion today. If you are a member or you're taking steps to be a part of God's people and obey God, then you're free then to take communion today. You need to examine yourselves so that you might have a right heart while you take communion. Why do we warn you about this? Because the Bible warns us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul was speaking to a, a church that had just chaos when it came to taking communion. And Paul said that God had judged some of those people because they did it in the wrong way. And some had, had become sick because of God's judgment. Some had even experienced death. Some had been killed or died because of God's judgment of how they were careless about taking communion. And so we need to take it seriously. I'm going to mention that to you so that you might take it seriously. Uh, we're going to pray for these elements and give you instructions for how we want to carry this out. So I'm going to ask Brian if he would pray. But before he prays, we give us time to just examine ourselves in a moment of silence to pray God's forgiveness and uh, be reconciled with God. And then after that moment of silence, we will ask Brian to pray for us. So let's bow our heads in a moment of silent prayer, and Brian will lead us. Dear Lord, we thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in this building, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for being able to be encouraged by the saints that are here. But I pray, Lord, as we approach you, Lord, that we would approach you with clean hearts, Lord. If there's any in this room, Lord, who is not set on serving you, Lord, that they have intentions of doing evil after this service, Lord, sins that they have planned to do, Lord, that they would repent of that sin, Lord. If there's somebody in this room, Lord, who has something against their brother or sister, that they just can't get over, Lord, that they will work to bring peace with that brother or sister before they have communion today, Lord. 
we pray, Lord, if there are sins, Lord, some sins we are unaware that you will forgive us, Lord, and forbear us as we come to communion, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would just bless us as a people as we participate in this communion, Lord, that you will heal us spiritually, Lord, that you will bless us with all your spiritual blessings in the heavenly places, Lord, through your Son, that we would understand your truths, Lord, that we would receive your revelation so that we can understand what you are doing for us, Lord, that we will hope only in you and not in ourselves. And so, Lord, when we come to communion, Lord, we think about the fact that one day you're going to be drinking this with us. And so, Lord, we want to keep this in honor of you, Lord. So help us to keep this in your honor, Lord, to take it with the seriousness that you have told us to take it, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to pray for these two elements. I'm going to ask uh, Andy if he pray for the wafer that represents Jesus' body. Cliff, if he would pray for the juice that represents Jesus' blood. Dear Lord, we just continue in prayer. We just think about the wafer as we take it. We know it does nothing special, Lord, but it's a sign, a sign of the sacrifice you paid for us, the death that you paid on the cross for our sins, Lord, that you did that for your people to redeem us of our sins, that it was none of our work, Lord, but all your work, and we just give you the glory as we think on that. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for the blood you shed on Calvary's cross for our sins, Lord. Without shed blood, there is no remission of sin, and we just thank you for that. And as we partake of the juice today, representing your blood, understanding that it's a memorial for you, Lord. It doesn't hold any uh, mystical powers or anything. We do this in remembrance of what you did at Calvary's cross. So we pray as we take uh, the juice today, Lord, in remembrance of you that you might just bless it for Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to um, direct our men to the back where they will guide you to come forward for communion. By row through the side aisles and then return through the center aisle. Would you come as they direct you?
have the cup. We're going to do this together. We're going to wait just a moment, though. We're going to wait for um, Lawrence to return. There are two seals. The first one is very thin. We're going to remove that one first. Go ahead and remove that seal, and that reveals the wafer. This has no spiritual power. It doesn't magically do anything. But there is a warning, as I warned you before. If you take this and your heart isn't right and your life isn't right, then you're taking it as a curse. And God will speak an answer to what he said. Don't take what his son has done lightly. But as we take this, we represent what it represents. We remember what it represents. It represents Jesus' body that was given for us. In other words, God gave his son a human body so that he could be the substitute sacrifice for humans that placed their trust in him. And so this represents what Jesus' body has done for us. We take it to show our trust in Jesus. Let's eat together. You may now pull back that seal of the cup. This represents the blood that Jesus shed. It was required that his blood be shed to pay for sin. All who trust in him have the benefit of our sins being paid for by Jesus' blood. Let's remember Jesus as we drink together. As we close our service, I'm going to ask Joel if he would come forward so that we can extend to him a right hand of fellowship. We welcome him into church. So we're going to close in a word of prayer. We're going to ask Lawrence to lead us in prayer. And then after that prayer, you're welcome to come and just shake hands with this brother and welcome Joel to, to Sweet Communion. Lord, we just thank you for being able to take communion and to just remember the sacrifice that you made for us. Um, we are eternally grateful for what you have done for us and what you will do for us. We thank you today for adding Joel to the roster of members here, Lord, and most importantly to the body of believers that are gathered here and assembled here to do your work in this, and um, move toward the work being accomplished in your kingdom. Let's pray for each one of us here that we embrace Joel, we make him feel part of the family, Lord, that we hold him accountable, and then we lift him up in the times where he's not able to stand for himself. We just thank you again for him being here. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.